there's always information out there. And it could be from the internet, it could be from your network, it could be from social networks where companies will post information about their company. And so that, that's a wealth of data. And then if you have the ability to spend time with the customer, especially with those who are serving their customers, is that whenever you're able to provide any kind of insight to your client base, I mean, that is extremely valuable. Episode 42 with John Ulrich. He's the Vice President of National Accounts at Altosham. John's just one of the nicest people you're going to meet. His style, his thoroughness, his attention to detail, you can really see how that served him well in this Vice President role running uh, the sales organization in, in his past when he was in sales. John breaks down the concept of really getting ahead by taking learning and development into your own hands. And he's going to break it down for us into three phases. Number one, he's going to explain to us the philosophy of why. Why is it important to ask the question why? How do we use why and curiosity in our business to uncover opportunities for growth? Second area is how he applied that to sales for him in his organization in a segment that we'll call fanatical prospecting. And third, how to overcome biases in hiring. Guys, if you're really enjoying the podcast, subscribe wherever you subscribe to your podcast, iTunes or Spotify. Give it a like, give it a rating, share it. Let's get these influencers message spreading far and wide. Okay, stay tuned for today's episode. Today's guest, John Ulrich, has joined me to discuss a very important topic about how we take learning and development into our own hands and then, of course, implementing and developing those you know, systems and ways to push the new ideas out to get new results. But he's also going to show us a little bit more in terms of how he thinks, like what are some of the most important elements or kind of big rocks for learning and development that we should be taking on. So, John, um, no pressure. Welcome to uh, Winning at Work. Uh, good morning, Tony. And like every guest, I have to thank you for allowing me the time to be on your most prestige podcast. This is good. I'm excited for the next hour, two hours, three hours, however long that you want to have. Me. Six hours. This is this is a six hour. It's the first ever long format Um so, yeah, we just lost half our listeners. So good job, John. Way, way to start it off for us. Um, no, you know, in all seriousness, we were kind of talking offline and we were kind of throwing out our, our favorite quotes. And one that came to me was, uh, genius is the ability to put into effect what is in the mind. And that's by F. Scott Fitzgerald. I actually think Mark Twain has quoted that as well. And I think that really characterizes really what you kind of wanted to kind of share with, with, with me and, and the listeners. So, you know, in your current business, what are some of the practical, you know, ideas you've had to take on and then kind of implement throughout your, your organization 
as head of sales? Uh, really good question. And let me give you a little bit of context on why it's important to continue to learn and refine your skills is that essentially it's all about reacting to change is that change happens every day and it can be gradual or it can be a sudden event, kind of like COVID. And so you just need to be able to keep an open mindset to be able to detect one uh, change occurs. And so if, and if you don't, then you have the opportunity to miss opportunities. And you, you see this so many times in business. There's so many examples where people held on to the past or continually do what do things that worked in the past that become obsolete. So you can name um, like Xerox, not Xerox, um, Kodak and Nokia, just companies that were leaders at the time that no longer have are no longer perched as industry titans. So the main thing is just continually to detect those those signals of change. And so to be able to do that, you have to have, as Carol Dweck says, is that growth mindset is continue to look at what's happening out there, whether it's in your company, your family, the marketplace, and see what the, the evolving needs are and identify if you already have those skills to be able to address those needs. And if not, and many times there will be times where you do not have those skills, is be curious and try to find and develop those new skill sets. You know, this is probably uh, an exercise that could be done, you know, individually or it could be done as a, as a brainstorming session. Uh, what's, what's kind of worked for you? So it's really, and it's, it goes back to what we learned as children or what's naturally innate in children is just asking questions and asking why and trying to understand how the world works and ask yourself, is this still true today? Um, I think if you're able to do that and, ask different people their opinions, their thoughts, and continue to read um, industry magazines, business magazines, or any, any sort of materials out there and just ask, why is this happening? Is this true? I think that's um, a good start. Um, as you drill down into an organization is, once again, is don't, and you hear this all the time, don't be siloed. And the reason why is that you want to hear the, the multiple opinions from others is go to the shop floor and understand how the, um, how the equipment's being built, how the components are being manufactured, talk to customer service, see if there's any issues or suggestions that are coming from the customer base. If you have a technical service department, spend some time with them because they're the ones who have the ears to the ground and just stay connected that way. And then, of course, if you're in sales, this is your opportunity to spend time in the marketplace, talk to your distributors. What are the things that they're seeing? How is your business being transformed uh, by COVID or um, by the industry tra- trends, whether it be competition, mergers and acquisitions? Ask them. And then also, of course, spend time with your customers and really keep asking some of those detailed questions and don't feel 
um, restricted about asking some of the hard questions because that's where it's actually even a benefit to them because it makes them think as well. So those are just some ideas in general about how to continue to look for new information and try to see what the marketplace is and what it will be. Well, you've helped shift my mind already because you see, I was approaching it maybe from this old standpoint of, okay, well, now we're going to learn. Well, I think you're really throwing that model out and you're saying it's, it's a mindset. It really should just be kind of part of your being. And it's like, no, well, not now I'm going to do this, but it's just part of your essence. You're just constantly asking that why. That, that actually helped me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Cohen. I do feel like you've, you've got to have that essence, as you said, because that's what's going to drive you to start learning. And so whether you, like if you need a new skill, is, is having that essence, that drive to pick up a book on project management, how to better prospect, how to better collaborate with others, how to improve your emotional intelligence so that you're better able to collaborate with your colleagues. So I do feel like the first part is just having that motivation to do it. And then, of course, then it's just having the right methods and the right approach thereafter. Well, I think you were describing in your own business that there were have been several opportunities and needs for this process. At my previous company, I was... Um, it was my first time as a sales manager where I had uh, a team that was reporting up to me. And, of course, going through sports and just watching um, or even experiencing my bosses, who were all great, um, you, you definitely learn things. But it's kind of like a collection of ideas and concepts that are not really super organized. It's just... Um, a bunch of sentences that are best practices, but it's not a full paragraph or a full page yet. So what I ended up doing is I read several books about how to um, better manage the team. So books like uh, Start With Why by Simon Sinek, The Effective Executive with Peter Drucker, and The Coaching Habit by Michael Stainer, and of course, uh, Harvard Business Review has always got some great articles. And for for about a month, I really just poured into those resources, took a bunch of notes, and then ultimately had my philosophy that then was able to apply to the business. So that's just one example of how I recognized that I did not have the skills or the complete skill set to be able to really kind of lead and direct the team. And so that was an opportunity for me to really improve myself through learning and then apply it to the organization. As a leader, you have to continue to ask yourself um, those questions. And once you set a program in place, is that you have to continue to evaluate it as well to make sure that it's a benefit to the organization and also to the employee as well as are they fulfilling, are they feeling fulfilled um, about what they're doing? Are their contributions actually leading to results? And is the organization actually getting some benefit from uh, from these new work methods. There's a, a new book that I'm reading now called Here, Path, There, and it's all about servant leadership. And it really kind of turns this whole model of, of managing a team upside down. It's, you know, kind of that classical 
uh, view of management is, you know, there's a pyramid and the management leadership's at the top and then it kind of filters down. This takes that whole model and flips it upside down into an upside down V. And the, the role of the leader is simply to support uh, the team. So I'll be kind of curious to go back and look at some of these books as well. We all know Simon Sinek um, and, and Peter Drucker. I'm not familiar with uh, Michael Stainer. I'll have to go back and, and look at that. But um, any particular uh, takeaways, any particular, you know, thoughts? Uh, I'm kind of putting you on the spot. Do you, is there anything that kind of has resonated with you that you've really made your own now that is now your, you know, your paragraph, as, as you were saying? Um, yeah, the paragraph. And a lot of it is servant leadership. And but I think it's just realizing what the outcome is and starting backwards from there is one of the things that I like to say is doing the right thing the right way at the right time and making sure that every day that you start your day is that at least you have a clear path of what you want to do and you understand what the expected results are. I think if you approach it that way, then that really sets a good structure about how to go, what's the best path forward as far as some of the some of the details within the what. What are the key initiatives? Who are the clients I need to contact? Who do I need to coordinate internally uh, to be able to continue to win this business? What's your take on, uh, on metrics? I think it's important, but you need to measure the right thing. And the reason why I say this is that uh, during COVID is that my company – uh, wanted to increase the number of visits to our current clients, make sure that they're okay. And I think that's overall a really good idea. However, um, what I was seeing is that we had some dirty data because the, the sales, we were incentivizing the wrong thing on the salespeople. We we're looking for the number of visits. Um, and so where you are, in a more of a rural location, you're probably only able realistically to get maybe six or seven visits a day if they're even there. And then some of these folks, these sales managers were logging 10, 12, 14 visits a day and they weren't quality visits. So what we are trying to measure uh, while the intent was good is that in reality, we were, we were not incentivizing the right thing. How did you manage to see that there was quality rather than, than quantity? Because as you say, if you're out in the rural areas, you're going to, you know, you're not on paper. You don't seem to be as productive as the, the person who's maybe in a more populated area. Yeah. So that's one of the, the benefits of a customer relationship management system, CRM, is that you would look into the data and compare those who are doing 14 visits a day versus those who are doing six visits a day. And so when you read the meeting notes, is that those who are doing 14 visits a day, those were the folks that were copying and pasting um, visit one to visit two, visit three, visit four. Um, talk to this person. He's doing well. Uh, can't wait for COVID to be open over. So you can look at that. But then you look at the folks that had four or five, in that you could see in the meeting notes is that talked with this particular person, talked about how he's responding to COVID, that now 
He is simplifying his menu, reducing it. He's reduced his staff by 50%, but now he's focusing more um, on delivery and has developed a partnership with Uber Eats. And so just kind of just doing that fact check on that as well, where obviously you, you want the, the quantitative, but you have to measure that against the qualitative and just double check the data and even have those pointed questions with the sales managers going, okay, what are you doing? How are you doing it? Uh, what are the results? What's going well? What's not going well? What are you seeing out there? And it kind of goes back to, as a manager, just being curious to understand how your team is also responding to change and making sure that what they're doing is actually lit producing uh, the desired result for, for them, the customer, and for the organization. We're kind of on that topic, you know, of seeing new customers. And I, I know for, for a lot of us, it's always about prospecting. You know, we're looking for new customers. Uh, you know, as my, as my CEO has said, and it's, it's not a new idea, but if you're not growing, you're dying. That's a kind of a blunt way to put it. So you've had some experience too with, you know, prospecting and, and, and finding new customers. What are your thoughts around this? Uh, process and learning development and kind of asking the, the, the why. Gotcha. So this kind of goes back to the theme of it is we've had some gradual change, but then we've had some sudden change with because of COVID and some other factors is that how we prospected in the past has changed. Uh, for example, in a lot of ways where we're now restricted to we can no longer go into corporate offices. That used to be two, even one year ago, that's how we met with our clients. We visited them in the offices, we went to their test kitchen, we talked with everyone there, and we really got a better understanding of what was happening within the organization and what their current need state were. Now, with COVID, we've all been diffused back to our homes, and now primarily, is that a lot of the uh, communication is either over phone or over Zoom or Microsoft Teams. So that's changed the way that we've gone to market. However, I mean, there's still some things where the, the basic principles apply. And, um, and back in the day when we were trying to really develop our client base, I went back and did some research and figured out I did not have all the answers to how to properly prospect. So I read a couple books. Uh, one of them, which I highly recommend for any salesperson, is Fanatical Prospecting by Jeb Blunt. And then, of course, there's always uh, Corn Ferry, who used to be part or who acquired Miller Hyman. And there's always really good research there. But essentially, there's four things that you need to do is that one, you have to make Pick up the phone, make the phone call. You have to email. You have to use your social networks, so Facebook, LinkedIn, and continue to build your brand and the company's brand. And then the fourth thing is in-person networking. Now with COVID, maybe you're not doing so much of the, um, the fourth thing of networking, but still you can always pick up the phone and then also email. What I always believe that you need to do is that especially from the beginning, and we've all heard you only have one one chance to make a first impression, is that you want to 
deliver value and trust as soon as possible within the sales cycle. And so what I try to do, and I'm, I've been doing a lot more of it now, is that I try to learn much more about the client's business before I contact them, before I email them, and before I reach, pick up the phone. And so in my, my line of business, I'll do it two ways. One, I'll do a lot of internet research, kind of find out a little bit more about the company financials, understand what some of their strategic goals are. And then I will then go into the field, visit uh, many of their locations as I can to get a better understanding of what they're doing, how they're doing it. And if uh, some of the general managers or staff are available, ask them their opinion and then consolidate all that information and then present, um, present an email to, I'm trying to go to the CEO level first um, and then actually present um, a little bit of a pitch based on what I know about their company and say, what if you could do this? How would that impact your business? And if this is something that you're interested in, let's talk a little bit more because my company and myself, we've helped many within your peer group be able to grow their sales and improve customer satisfaction. So that's kind of how I've been approaching prospecting lately. And the results are mixed, but you have to always pick up the phone. That's the only thing that you can control at the end of the day is how many how many prospects have you reached out to every day, every week? Well, maybe instead of doing 50 prospect calls, why don't you only do 10, but you've actually done a look, fanatical amount of research. So you really have a unique value proposition. In fact, I know you told me of, of a really unique uh, situation. I don't know if you recall the one I'm talking about where you kind of did that, you know, boots on the ground research. Oh, yeah. And I think it it captures a lot of the themes that we've talked about before is selling in the C-suite, doing the research and taking a little bit of a, a team approach and just continue to ask why. So during during COVID is that we had to change how we went to market as far as generating interest in in our equipment. We can no longer do trade shows and which probably we got 80% of our leads. And there was one particular convenience store that we really wanted to get into. Um, we've heard about it. We've, I've stopped there many times to get gas, and I just thought that this was a great opportunity uh, to sell our product into. And I had um, a sales manager who kept calling the, the project manager or the category manager but he was not uh, not getting any response. So I had done a lot of research on the industry, figuring out what some of the trends are, and obviously with uh, gas and cigarettes, those sales going down, and that C-Source need to look for other revenue streams to continue their business, and freshly prepared food service is one of those. So got some stats from the industry, and then reached out to the senior vice president to to start pitching what what I knew about the industry, asking a little bit what their plans were going forward. And just a slight one sentence, hey, my company has helped other clients improve their profitability 
and their offerings and sales? Would you be interested in having that conversation? And so what was good is that the senior vice president, obviously who's responsible for growing sales and profit, that was something that resonated with him. So then he said, hey, I don't handle this on a day-to-day basis, but what I'll do is that I'll start a project with the category manager, the same category manager that our sales manager is trying to get in contact with, and then let's have a conversation. And so, which was awesome, and opened up that door. And then we had scheduled a meeting about a week out, so both me and the sales manager, we visited three or four different stores uh, apiece, and we're able to kind of get a better understanding of what they're doing, what they're cooking, how they were cooking it, ask a couple questions to the store managers to see what's working well, what's not working well, compile that into a slight presentation. And then during our first meeting, we presented it. And then it was good enough where that led to a cooking demonstration. So it's just trying different things to be able to get in front of the right people. And in that particular case, it worked and that that was good and may, we'll try it again. And then if it, if it continues to work, we'll continue to do it. And if not, then we'll continue to look for other ways to do things a little bit differently. Maybe we start sending out uh, personalized videos or um, home meal replacement to the, to the category managers in the, in the future. Who knows? But always try different things and, and see what the end result is. The theme constantly brought up is identifying the pain point, and none of that could have happened had you not kind of forced forced the issue and kept asking why that was a a brilliant kind of breakdown of what's happening and it was kind of right in front of your face but you to act but you had to actually dig and look to see and realize hey this is a real trend and you took advantage of it and obviously you work in your industry so it's up to us to determine what's happening in our industry there's always information out there and it could be from the internet It could be from your network. It could be from social networks where companies will post information about their company. And so that's a wealth of data. And then if you have the ability to spend time with the customer, especially with those who are serving their customers, is that whenever you're able to provide any kind of insight to your client base, I mean, that is extremely valuable, especially stuff that, or information that comes directly from the front lines. I want to get your opinions on, you know, hiring. And you've got some kind of unique ideas ar- around this, or maybe it's kind of your spin on on hiring talent. What's your approach when you have to set out and, and hire uh, a salesperson? Certainly. So you try to be as exact and methodical as you can be. And the reason why is that you have certain biases of what you think a salesperson looks like. Um, it is the bias of representativeness. So he, the salesperson comes in and he or she is well-dressed. They speak very well. And they come off as very polished. And you go, hey, this is someone that we need to hire. Um, and once you go through that, once you have that really good first impression, then everything else kind of gets ignored and you end up hiring this person. And sometimes it works out well, uh, but sometimes maybe it doesn't. So essentially 
what you, what I've read um, by some psychologists that have done this is that you want to do two things. The first thing is that you want to have a group of people, especially if that salesperson is going to be interacting with multiple departments. You want to have a diverse um, set of eyes and ears. And then that diverse um, hiring committee will ask uh, pointed questions and be able to judge on a scale of one to three, one to five, whatever it is, the four to six key characteristics that that particular person needs to have. So um, one could be, is this person well-spoken? Two, does this person commit to prospecting? Three, how well does this person interact with others? Four, um, are they are they a good listener? And so then each one of the people, they will rate the, um, the candidate on that, on that scale. So that kind of takes out some of that, that bias because now you're judging against a certain set of standards. The second thing you want to do is that you want to ask detailed questions to get beyond those buzzwords. Cause it's really pretty simple to say that, Hey, I'm a collaborator. Um, I always look for the win-win. But then you go, okay, so you are a collaborator. Tell me about how you won a project with your team. How did you lead the team? How did you work together on this? What were, what were some of the things? What are some of the obstacles that you overcame, and how did you overcome it? And get really detailed because at that point, then you really get to better understand how much that person experienced that sale or, or that project and how they interact with others, which is completely important. Because otherwise, um, and I've seen this many, many times, is that failure has many orphans, success has many fathers. So if you're successful with a particular project, everyone is taking credit for it. So at that point, really like, all right, so what have you done to contribute to that success? And I, I think really it's just remaining curious, right, is – how much do I really want to learn about this person? Am I invested in learning more or am I just going to mentally short, short circuit myself to say, hey, this guy looks good or this gal looks good and I'm going to hire her? Um, so, yeah, it's, it's just remaining committed to learning. You know, I, I'm picking up a, a trait of yours and you are definitely more detail-oriented, I believe. You're definitely more thorough and that is that enables you to take on this idea of, of researching and, and digging deeper. And I think, you know, we as salespeople, we have to kind of recognize some of our tendencies. And I think you bring out um, this desire to, to prospect and be on the front end, but you also combine it with maybe a skill or a trait that is not always found in sales. And that is this, you know, attention to detail and thoroughness. And it's, it's showing up very clearly that you have to have that, that aspect to yourself if you're going to be successful. And I think that shows up in, even in your hiring strategy of bringing in the team and, and building that, um, that interview guide or chart. And I use that as well. You know this much better than anyone else is the cost of hiring and training someone is so high for an organization. And it takes a lot of resources uh, to onboard and train and, Maybe it's six months to 18 months before they first produce a sale. So there is 
a lot of reason and yeah, there's just a, there is a significant impact to the organization to make sure that you get the hiring process right. So anything you can do to improve your odds of hiring and training the right person, it just sets you better off from the beginning. Well, to your point, the, the cost of a bad hire increases exponentially as they move up into the organization. So it might only be 1x of their salary if they're an entry-level person, but as they move into management and senior management, it, it quickly becomes 3x, 4x their salary just because of the time, the effort, the expenses, and the damage that they can do and the lack of revenue that they, that they generate. Uh, there's a, an assessment that I have recently taken that it, it has meant the world to me and it has really helped me see myself even better. I have started working with a, with a personal coach and she typically has only coached uh, women, but I had, I've helped her. She's a fortune 500 marketing executive, super sharp. And I placed her you know, I helped her get a job and we've stayed friends and she has kind of found her calling as a, as a purpose coach. And it's something that she does, uh, you know, kind of after hours and weekends. She just absolutely loves it. And, you know, we were talking and she was, I was ha I thinking about having her come on the podcast and, you know, talk about some marketing principles. She says, marketing, she says, no, 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 no. We need to talk about purpose coaching. And she says, and by the way, um, how'd you like to be my guinea pig? Cause I typically, <laughs> I, oh gosh. So anyway, where I'm going with all this is that I took an assessment called a uh, Clifton the Clifton strengths. So I don't know if, if, if anyone's ever, you know, wanted to figure out a little better, you know, take a closer look at themselves. It's super helpful. And I say that because Clifton strengths, you can take it for like 50 bucks. But, um, the idea, John, is that everyone has 34 skills, traits, attributes. Uh, they, they show up in these different ways. And some of them, you know, you don't have much at all and others show up immediately. So that's another great tool when you're hiring a salesperson or someone is, is find an assessment that you, that you like, that you've taken, that's given great insight into yourself and, you know, play around with that. Cause I could really see using Clifton assessment or the, the Clifton skills to uh, better help, you know, analyze and, and see any, I, one of my earlier podcast guests, uh, Dr. Stephen Muller. I did a four-part series with Dr. Stephen Muller. Shout out to uh, Dr. Muller. And he lays out very specifically how to implement and put in an assessment program into your company. So you've got that tool uh, at your disposal as well. So interesting. So Clifton assessment. So what, Tony, what did you learn about yourself? When I show up at home, at work, relationships, wherever I, whoever I'm dealing with, I show up with... I want to build relationships first. To me, everything happens through relationships. Mm -hmm. And my number one skill or trait that shows up is what they call activator. And that is okay. I want action. I want to get started. I want to go. I want to encourage, uh, coach, energize, bring everybody together. And it kind of showed me ways that if I'm in a group setting and people are struggling with something, that's your time to step in and help people make a decision and get moving. And the second point or second trait that shows up very strongly in me is ideation. 
I love strategic thinking and dealing with abstract ideas, brainstorming. So you put those two things together and I'm always trying to think of new ways to do things. And then I want to go do them. And that's what this podcast is. I just, you know, over a year ago, I saw this was happening. This was, this was a trend. And as I, as I told you, when we first met, there's just too many great ideas out there. I wanted to get them done. And so I spent a little bit of time researching and I just started it. And I thought I'll figure it out as I go. That's pretty impressive. So how has the, the podcasting experiment gone for you being an activator and ideator? You feeling good about this? What have you, what have you learned? Well, I love it. It's a, it, it's a labor of love because to, to have a super successful podcast, you probably have to have a whole team of people, you know, marketing and editing. I do everything myself. I figured out all the technology, all the editing tools, and I do everything myself and all the, you know, intro music. I figured everything out. I just do it. You're not going to do something if you're not passionate about it. And so, you know, I'm passionate about it. I love meeting people. It fits my purpose. And my purpose is to meet people, to help people, to coach people. So this I am discovering is just another vehicle for me to kind of express, you know, my purpose. And that is, you know, bringing in people like you who are highly successful and running teams and solving problems and getting that information out and having me be in the middle of it and talking and, and kind of generating interest around that. It, it's just kind of a natural thing for me. It's just like breathing air and it's just a, another great way for me to, to do that. So and you're the first person who's actually asked me about it. So kudos to uh, Mr. Ulrich. No, it's pretty fascinating. I have another question too, is that, has there been like any unexpected discovery, anything at the end of a podcast and go, wow, that was really, really awesome. I'm so glad I started this podcast because otherwise this would never would have happened to me. It's just hearing, you know, people speak from the heart, how they're able to, you know, overcome life's challenges. And in some cases, you know, they'll, they'll magnify God, for example. You know, this is not necessarily a, a religious podcast. So when someone amplifies their, you know, their trust in God, I think that's, you know, to me, that's very inspiring because, you know, how do, you know, how are we supposed to operate in, in today's world, right? You know, we, we think we know what we're doing. We're, you're going out researching, doing all these things, but, you know, inside you're probably also wrestling with, okay, well, I still need guidance. So I think when I hear stories of people relying on that inner voice and that guidance, you know, I love to hear that when that comes out. I think that's, um, that's inspiring. And I mean, you listen, you're, you're being very you're talking to you guys who are so successful in corporate America. I'm in awe of that because, you know, living and surviving in a very political environment, some environments are more political than others. It takes a special skill set. I mean, to survive in corporate America is very, if there's a real skill, a real unique uh, ability <laughs> to do that. So I'm just in awe of, of you guys. And um, I'm just kind of along for the ride to watch you guys <laughs> do it. No, but it was a really good summary. And what I heard from there is just, um, you're just talking with different people. Like as you have your purpose, 
is that you're being exposed to other people who have a purpose, whether it's it's God or helping other people, whatever it happens to be. And that's where you're forming those connections on these podcasts. At least that's what I heard. That's the thing. I love making relationships and everything to me flows out of relationships. And this podcast truly does for me have multiple, multiple purposes. It's, it's really for the person driving into work or work, you know, making dinner in the kitchen and they pick up some ideas that they can take and use. And like you just, you dropped a lot of great information about different books you know, someone, someone's going to hear that and they're going to go look up Peter Drucker and they're going to discover someone that they didn't know. And, um, and that makes an impact in their life and that impacts the people that they work with and the company they work for. So literally that, you know, helps everyone. And I think that's truly, I feel like everyone's purpose in life is to help people. And so how do you go about doing that? And for me, this is one way that I can express that is, is through the podcast and kind of helping disseminate that information. But listen, I'm also in the business of um, recruiting and I always look for new clients that are hiring. I'm always looking for, you know, getting referred to great candidates. And so this podcast helps me do that because if I'm trying to recruit someone in food service, I might send over an episode of someone that I've spoken to in food service and they realize, hey, this guy is different. He's unique. He's a thought leader. And, you know, I want to talk to him and I, I would trust him to deal with me confidentially in a search that I, you know, I want to go through with and I have to protect my current job. And of course, you know, I want um, people who are in positions of hiring to also listen to this and say, this is someone that I would like to represent my company to help me attract people. And has, has it worked out pretty well for you? Have you seen an uh, increase of business or improved relationships where you feel like you'll have a better shot at winning some more business in the future? The, the proof will be in the pudding. We'll see. I, I feel like I am definitely making better relationships with, with people that I would not have otherwise met or had an opportunity to speak with. And it's definitely kind of increasing, you know, my my awareness. It's helping me be more authentic so people can definitely learn more about me before they even decide to work with me. They can just kind of listen to me on, on the podcast. Pretty cool. Pretty <laughs> it cool. is pretty cool. So maybe yeah. there's a, a future for, uh, for, for for John behind a mic as well. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I can be that <laughs> compelling or interesting to any audience, but we'll see, Well, we'll I guess. find out. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. We'll find out as... Half the listeners dropped. No, just kidding. Tell us about your company and what you guys are doing. I want you to give yourself a little marketing promo here. So I'm just going to jump into that. Just kind of just tell us a little bit about what you do. So again, John, I, I'm so grateful that you took some time with us today. Please tell us a little bit more about your company, what you're doing. And if, you, if your company is hiring, tell us what it is that you guys are looking for, maybe some of the skills and traits and you know, how they can find you and how they can kind of get to you? Uh, good good question. Thanks for asking and giving me the opportunity to talk about AltoSham. So AltoSham is a really cool, innovative, and progressive company. They're based out of Wisconsin and is family-owned by Steve Moss, and it's got a really good leadership culture. Um, he really does believe that it's a family and that he treats everyone as as such. You, it's very common that you'll see him walking on the factory floor because he grew up there on the factory floor, talking with everyone, understanding um, a little bit about why they love coming into work every day, 
And he also, like what I was saying earlier, he gets feedback from everyone in the organization, from the maintenance staff to those who are operating the machines, to those who are working in marketing and sales, and even his partners as well. Uh, so he's very, very engaged. And that, and that approach permeates through the rest of the organization, where we continue to look at new ways to bring um, relevant innovation to the marketplace. And typically, we do more, um, we apply heat to food, so whether it's cooking it in an innovative way where it's a little bit faster, more consistent, more delicious, uh, so that the, the consumer enjoys um, their food a little bit more from the restaurant, the supermarket, convenience store, or the hotel. We make sure that whoever's serving the food is serving the best possible food. Um, and then also, um, sometimes you have to hold the food. Um, a lot of the, the ghost kitchens, those you hear a lot about ghost kitchens where you produce food in advance for five or six or seven different restaurants, and then those are delivered. Well, you can't cook everything on demand for every single uh, Internet order, so you have to cook and hold. And you want to make sure that that food is, is, is as good coming out of the holding cabinet after 30 minutes or an hour as it came just off the oven. So that's a little bit about what AutoSham does is just produces really great innovative equipment that makes a difference to our customers, whether it be um, on the food side, just preparing better food, or even on the, the profitability side as well. Um, and there is definitely a lot of passion uh, within the organization. I was traveling with a sales manager over the week, and we're in front of a customer, a brand-new customer, and he was kept welcoming the new customer to the Altosham family. And he said it three or four times, and he generally meant it. And so I feel like that having those connections, those relationships, like you like to develop, is something that our entire organization attempts to do. I think it's great that you're actually out doing sales calls. Wow, that's great. I mean, to me, that's a great sign that, uh, you know, maybe business is starting to return to normal. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to put a link to Alto Sham in the uh, comment section and in, in the bar so people can come and find it. Um, I'm going to tag also the career section because it looks like you guys have several things open in Wisconsin. I don't see anything in sales per se, but uh, if there are salespeople out there that, you know, kind of resonate with this, I'm going to encourage them to, you know, find you and uh, kind of get networked to you for that next next opportunity when that opens up. John, thank you so much for being here. And just, I love your approach to, you know, asking why and being curious and never stopping that, you know, learning and development and, and implementing, you know, those changes to uh, a ever-changing, you know, landscape. Yeah, it, it, this was great, Tony. Thank you for allowing me on a podcast. This was definitely time well spent. So thanks for listening to me. And also thanks for teaching me a few things as well. Um, just whether it be uh, the Clifton assessment or just a little bit about hiring and the um, the impact of hiring to an organization, I, I came back with a few nuggets as well. So thank you. Thank you very much on that. You're welcome. We'll talk to you soon. You bet, Tony. Catch you later, my friend.